You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm pleased to introduce you to Steve Boris. Do you ever wonder why bad things always seem to happen to good people? Do you want to know how to overcome adversity and become successful despite terrible odds? Would you like to know what a parkway on Long Island has to do with two evil dictators? Well, today's guest, Steve Boris, has been struggling with these questions all his life. And here today to talk about that and his book is Steve Boris. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Steve. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with, with you. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you here, Steve. Uh, Steve, I'm curious, where does your story as an author begin? Um, sure. You know, it kind of... Uh... You know, I was thinking about writing a book for, for quite some time, uh, but, you know, it really came down to the pandemic um, where, you know, it was a couple of things converged. I had more time. Uh, I'm a high school teacher and we were, were furloughed and you couldn't, you know, get, get into work and you couldn't coach. And, you know, there was just a lot of uh, free time. And also uh, I felt uh, the need to try to, uh, to try to turn the tide of uh, the way things were going. You know, uh, things were getting quite chaotic on social media um, with all the misinformation and disinformation and, and just people's stress and anxiety uh, about the pandemic in general and uh, financial concerns and, and you name it. And um, I just saw my own family dealing with a lot of stress and depression and anxiety and, uh, um, what really also bothered me were people who were friends for, for decades and who had really loved and helped each other were now tearing each other apart um, for reasons that didn't quite make much sense. Um, and I just wanted to find a way to try to bridge that gap, to try to remind everybody, hey, we're all in this together. And the answer to a lot, all of our problems is love and, and community and, uh, you know, bridging those divides. And so that was the goal of the book. That, that's why I chose to become an author and, and take this leap and, 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 uh, and try to try to make a difference. Yeah. I mean, before we talk about the book, just tell me a little bit more about your background. So I know you're a, you're a high school teacher, you're a coach as well. Um, when you were growing up, did you ever think to yourself, Hey, I'm going to write a book someday? No. Uh, in fact, you know, growing up, uh, I could barely write a, a one paragraph essay, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, that was, you know, part of the origin story. You know, I was, uh, as a child, I was uh, learning disabled and, uh, you know, reading and writing never, never came easy to me. And uh, by the time I got to middle school, I was, I was flunking out. Um, and, you know, the write, writing a book was probably the furthest thing from my mind. And I'm sure some of my old English teachers would be uh, quite, quite amused or, or terrified that I actually <laughs> went ahead and, and put a couple hundred pages together. Or proud. Maybe they'd be proud, though. I mean, you never know. Absolutely. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you uh, you're a coach. What uh, what do you coach? Uh, we uh, coached everything, but primarily uh, football. Um, you know, I was uh, a head football coach for about 14, 15 years over at Sleepy Hollow, New York. Uh, now I'm uh, the assistant coach at Weston where uh, you know, I'm coaching my son, Peter. And he's going to be a senior. We're having a lot of fun with that. I've coached track. I've coached wrestling. Uh, you know, softball. You know, uh, you know, you you name it. I've, I've had a chance to coach it. You know, I'm just I'm curious because I, and I, I do want to talk about uh, the pandemic a little bit. But um, yeah, how did you lean on your experiences as a coach? You know, when you were putting this book together, because I know like the best coaches I've ever had, you know, weren't just those who were concerned about sort of our physical well-being i mean that's obviously important right because athletics are a physical thing you know by definition but you know they're equally you know um uh supportive um or um concerned with our our mental um our mental states and kind of building that mental confidence that that's required to perform so you know as you're thinking about you know your experiences with with the pandemic um, i'm just curious how, how you leaned on your uh, you know, experience as a coach, as you were thinking about putting this book together. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's all about coaching, you know, and that's kind of the goal of the book. You know, coaching is about motivation uh, and getting people to realize that they're their best person. You know, one of my uh, you know favorite expressions I always like to tell my teams at the beginning of the year is, you know, it's our goal to replace each and every one of you you know, either with a better per better player or with a better version of yourself, you know, and, uh, you know, they always get terrified at the first part and then they, you know, oh, okay, you know, catch on with the second. And, you know, that was the goal of the book um, is to try to encourage people, hey, things are bad, but we've got, we can get through this together. Yeah. And, you know, drawing from my experience, uh, my other uh, members of my family, their experience that, you know, when faced with overwhelming odds, you know, yeah, I want to give you hope. Uh, I want you to know you got a chance and, you know, and, and a chance is all you need. And that that's what coaching's about. And, and that's kind of the goal. Also the goal of the book is, is to try to motivate people and try to get them to realize, um, you know, you can overcome whatever your problem may be. And yeah. they can be you know, um, epic, you know, historic, like, like my, the, my grandmother, my Bapcha faced in the book. Uh, it could be, you know, uh, other things that might be a little bit more sneaky, you know, that you may not realize until, uh, it's too late. Well, let's talk about the title, how to beat Stalin, Hitler and the Southern state parkway. That certainly caught my attention. Um, <laughs> when I first heard it. So walk me through, um, your choice of title. Yeah. Um, you know, once you get into it, it kind of makes sense. You know, it was uh, a way to, you know, kind of catch people's eye. You know, why is this going to stand out? You know, some people suggested, you know, uh, 
titles like Invincible or something like that, you know, that's just going to become white noise. Um, where this is something that's going to, you know, make make people perk up, and uh, you know, hopefully, maybe uh, at least read the back of the the book, right? Um, you know, and it 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 came to me um, because like I was saying before, our problems can be epic, like having to defeat evil dictators. Um, or it can be trying to overcome the death, like in my case, the death of my father who, who passed away in a car accident on the Southern State Parkway. You know, um, it's not that one is greater than the other, you know, um, there are challenges, they can, and you can overcome them or they can cost you your life. You know, it could also be uh, going through a divorce, alcoholism, losing a job, dealing with COVID, you know, all these things can sink you or you can rise to the challenge and, and overcome and, you know, choose to have a great life despite your, your obstacle. Yeah. Yeah. So how old were you when your father passed away? Uh, I was five. Wow. What, um, you know, can you, can you paint a picture of what that, what that did to yeah. you? You know, sure. So, you know, we had, uh, originally I was born in the Bronx and, uh, my family decided right after I was born to move out to Long Island because, um, you know, at that point it was 1974 and the Bronx was on fire. So that was probably a good move. You know, let's get out of the burning city. And, you know, we started to have like, you know, the nice idyllic life, you know, a uh, quarter acre house, you know, a little picket fence and, you know, two kids and, you know, things were great. And then uh, it all changed when he died uh, on the parkway. And from there, you know, um, our lives spiraled, spiraled downwards. You know, my mom was a single mom. She, she did her very best to try to take care of me and my sister. And, um, but uh, in school, I was getting bullied mercilessly. You know, I was the chubby kid and people would just, you know, couldn't wait to let me know how, how fat and horrible I was and, and some teachers too. And as I said before, I was flunking out of school and I was really looking into the abyss by the time I got to middle school. Like, you know, my life's going to be nothing but pain and misery and heartache. And, um, you know, it was that time when my mom and I started having midnight talks. You know, we both had insomnia from the stress and anxiety uh, of our situation. And, you know, I'd sit up late, late at night with her. And, you know, she's, she was a great mom. Moms would always encourage you, right? Oh, you're beautiful. You're handsome. You know, you're, you're a genius, but, but you don't believe your mom because your mom's crazy, <laughs> right? They're, they're supposed to say these, these yeah, crazy they're, they're not unbiased people. Yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah, I said, mom, you know, you're full of, full of, full of it here. You know, um, how could I be any of those things? You know, I'm the exact opposite of, of all the things you're saying I'm going to be. You know, I, how, I have no hope. I have no chance. And then she got a little tough. You know, she said, well, you know, you're not the only one there who, who's ever had trouble, you know, and you're not the only one in this family who's had adversity. And, and that's when she started to tell me about my father's mother, uh, Babcha Eva, and, and Babcha is the Ukrainian word for grandmother. And I said, uh, and I never really knew her. She died in the same car accident as my father. And I only really knew her as the nice lady who made apple strudel when she came over. You know, as a fat kid, you identify people by what pastry they bring to the house. And I said, okay, well, what's so great about Bob Chaiba? And my mom said, well, you know, she was basically a, a superhero. 
I said, get out of here, superhero. You know, what are you talking about? How could you be a super? Was the apple strudel radioactive or something? You know, give her power. No, no smart ass. And, and she said, when she was a girl growing up in Ukraine, uh, she wasn't worried about being overweight. She was worried about starving to death. I said, oh, you know, that, that woke me up a little bit. And she says, yeah, she was when she was a girl, she was victim of Stalin's Holodomor, uh, which was the Ukrainian genocide. Uh, where Stalin, the evil dictator, in order to break the Ukrainians' will to resist his communist collective farms, took out all the food and let about 4 million people starve to death. And she was and her family were victims of this. And they lost, you know, several members of the family. They, they were all on the verge of uh, collapse. And after about a year of that, Stalin relented. He had broken the Ukrainian and brought the food back in. And then a few years after that, there was the Great Terror, where another purge happened, where hundreds of thousands of people were, were wiped out by you know, the NKVD, which was like their secret police, and just came in and, and massacred, you know, uh, untold amount of people. And just when they were recovering from that, Hitler was now master of Europe. And in 1941, he unleashed Operation Barbarossa, which was the invasion of the Soviet Union. And it was the largest land battle in the history of the world. And my Bopch is on the front line. And she's quickly uh, captured. Her entire family's murdered. And for the rest of the war, she's going to be a slave in one of Hitler's work camps. And, you know, just hearing this, I'm just shocked. Right. You know, when you think of slavery, you think of the Civil War and all that, you know, you don't think of your grandmother um, as a slave in, in Europe. And I, I was, you know, dumbfounded by the story my mother's telling me, you know, and, and all the horrific detail. And I said, you know, my goodness, how did she survive? How did she make it? You know, uh, uh, you know, and my mother said, well, her grandma Bubapcha Eva's superpower was that she understood that no matter what was happening to her, she always controlled her reaction to the situation. Uh, and she quickly promised herself that she was gonna survive this, that she was gonna outlast the dictators, and she did. She outlived both Stalin and Hitler, and that she was gonna resurrect the Boris family. That one day in the future, we would have a great life again. And that she would not let uh, our family be erased from the pages of history. And that was how she was going to beat Stalin and Hitler, by living a good life and having family, me, that was going to have a good life. And, you know, my goodness, when I heard this, you know, um, it, it was completely awe-inspiring, yeah. you know, and, and motivating. And my Bopcha, when she did die, uh she got um at the end of her life she she had re she had um owned her own business she had owned her own house she lost her husband uh in in the war she she remarried she got to meet four grandkids and you know even though there was a lot of turmoil and a lot of trauma she lived a good life yeah. and gave me and my sister a chance to have a good life you know, and our other, uh, her grandchildren to have a good life. Um, and I realized at that moment, oh my God, I'm kind of on the hook now. That if I roll over and die, you know, that if I just, you know, go live in a van down by the river, or I don't, you know, 
I'm I'm losing to Stalin and Hitler, you know. So it's almost my duty, you know, to go and make something of myself, and and to find a way to be happy. And you know, this kind of terrified me because at this point I, I was just a complete loser. How how and old I, were you at this time when you were having these midnight talks with with your mom? This was like middle school age. Okay, you know, 12, 13, You know, just when you're a very so, wonderful period of life, you know, <laughs> puberty and all that. Sort of thing. Middle school is hard when everything is going your way, you know, let alone losing your father at an early age, grieving him, um, dealing with social pressures from, you know, fellow students, teachers, your peers. Now you're in a family who's also grieving, you know, your mother and your sister are also, I'm sure, still, you know, grieving your father at this point in time. Not that that ever ends. But I mean, it's hard enough when when things are going your way with middle school and all the changes you face and you have a lot of cards stacked against you. So this this conversation you had with your mom about your grandmother, I mean, what what impact did that have on you? You know, uh, it, I said, OK, I, I got to get off the mat here. You know, I, I got to get up and I got to find a way to be like her. You know, um, my problems are very real and they were. But if she could stand up to, to two evil dictators, you know, maybe I got a chance too. And the only issue I ran, I didn't know how to do anything. And so my mom uh, said, well, you know, it's probably time you started playing some football. And she got me on the football team, not because she thought I was going to be, you know, uh, NFL star or something, but just because she needed, I needed those role models. And she knew the coaches and she knew what the program was about. And right away, you can almost see how it started changing my life. Um, you know, the first thing they made us do on the team was run a big warm up lap around the, the perimeter of the school. I was a fat kid. I was dry heaving halfway through and, you know, it was just catastrophic. And, you know, it was like the baton death march. Uh, how am I going to get across around this, this lap? And the captain, this kid Jason, came and grabbed me and dragged me kicking and screaming across the finish line and told me, you're not going to quit. We're in this together. And just to have somebody say that, you didn't have to say that. Somebody other than your mom, right, um, started to change my life for the better. And the slogan on the team was uh, brothers forever. You know, and it wasn't just something catchy you put on a T-shirt. It was something they actually believed and, and lived. And, you know, the next day in school, I'm walking down the hall here. Hey, Steve. I look around. Oh, there must be another Steve. I'm like, oh, no, they're talking to me. You know, and just to be acknowledged as, as a person, you know, just started to change things uh, in, in the right direction. And I was probably the worst football player in the history of the school at this point. And the coach calls me into the office after a couple of weeks. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to cut me or something, you know, and, you know, kick me to the curb. And the coach says, hey, great job. Um, things are, you know, you're going in the right direction. And just to get that love and that encouragement meant everything. And uh, my mom also got me uh, evaluated and I was tested and found out, you know, I got a whole slew of learning disabilities. And the school started to give me help. I started to get, I got a resource room teacher, this lady, Mrs. Dudick, who was about five foot tall, hundred pounds, you know, and she'd get up in my face if I didn't do my homework and scream at me. She had to stand on the chair, of course, you know, <laughs> grab my ear, you know, and, uh, you know, 
all the theatrics, but you know, this woman taught me how to, how to learn and, you know, forever changed my life. You know, she could have just mailed it in or just said, Oh, he's stupid. And like, she, you know, was there for me and she fought, fought me, you know, against my own and, and got me to become a good student. And that's, you know, and that's also what the book is about is when you have a kid like me, who's at the edge and who's looking into the abyss, how do you, how do you change that story? You know, and sports is a big way. Um, school teachers are, are another, you know, great uh, resource to try to get people back on track and, and, and turn their lives around and give them hope for a better tomorrow. Yeah. How, how did these experiences with, um, you know, with your coaches, your fellow players, Mrs. Dudek, you know, your teachers, how did that influence your decision to become a teacher? Oh, you know, it's, you know, it's the big reason why I became a teacher, you know, um, it's a big reason why I, um, you know, have always tried to invest a lot of my time in, in my community and trying to make it a better place because I, I feel like I owe it to them uh, as a way to uh, kind of pay it forward, so to say, um, you know, and, and you could just see how it impacted me. Um, you know, when I was, I went from flunking out of school, worst football player on the team by my uh, going into my junior year, I was now team captain. I was getting uh, B's and a few A's, you know, and my mom started saying, hey, let's think about getting you a college scholarship to go play football. And, and you know, to, to go from three, four years to completely flip the script, you know, was, was just amazing. And as we were getting into that home stretch um, and starting to really think, OK, I can go and do something. Um, I'm sitting in the class one day and there's a knock on the door and it's the principal and the principal comes to the door and he says, Steve, I got to see you in my office. And I was uh, very excited. You know, I wasn't in trouble. I wasn't like, you know, smoking in the boys room today, <laughs> be vaping, you know, uh, when the principal came and got an athlete, it was because there was a college scout there. Right. So I'm like, Oh, this is it. Is it going to be Notre Dame or Penn state? You know, Oh, you know, my, my mind's just racing. Yeah. You're the next Rudy. Yeah, I'm the way Rudy. And uh, I get to the office and it's just him. There's no scout. And he says, Steve, I'm sorry. Uh, there's no scout, but there was a terrible accident and your mom's dead. Holy fuck. Sorry. And, no, it's okay. That's the appropriate response. That's what I said. And, uh, you know, and again, you're back at the abyss. Okay. And that's the other thing with the book. What happens? You know, you build yourself up and boom, you get hit again. How do you dig out? And what allowed me to, to dig out was my community. You know, people in ways big and small, seen and unseen, all rallied, you know, and just wouldn't let me quit at the end. You know, we were right at the finish line and they helped me get through my senior year. You know, uh, things like, you know, just trays of baked ziti appearing on the front porch, you know, because I didn't know how to cook. You know, and things like getting a ride to to wherever, you know, helping me, teaching me how to drive. I didn't even have my driver's license yet, you know, just uh, stuff like that. My my chemistry teacher, I'll never forget, you know, uh, 
after I missed some time for the funeral, came back in and she's like, okay, come after school. And she helped me make up all the work. And then she gave me 20 bucks to take my sister to the movies. You know, didn't have to do that, but it saved my life. Just knowing that people cared. Um, and, you know, got me on the straight and narrow, got me through college and, you know, now and allowed me to become a professional, you know, and, and serve in a capacity to try to give back. Um, and it's that system that, that got me there. Um, conversely, um, my sister had an opposite experience. You know, she had uh, struggled with obesity herself learning disabled, probably more so than me, um, same problems. But when she tried out for soccer and basketball uh, as a middle schooler, those teams had cuts. Football, you could be horrendous. You know, they kept everybody. All you had to do was try. Um, she got cut, and especially the basketball team, like uh, nine kids tried out and they kept eight. And she was the ninth one. And so without that sports family, uh, she fell into drugs and alcohol. She never had those role models. She never had those uh, speeches. She never had those, that, uh, that brothers forever or sisters forever, right? Um, core group of, of good, positive people uh, pushing her forward. You know, it's not to say that all her friends were bad. Some of her friends were, were lovely people, but... It was all about the party. It was all about, oh, we cut school. Oh, you got suspended. Oh, you smoked uh, marijuana in the girls' room. Oh, you know, she got all that um, negative reinforcement and never got on a career track, never could get beyond the drugs and the alcohol. And by the time she was 35, she uh, drank herself to death. Oh, my gosh. Um, she died from uh, liver failure and kidney failure, you know, hooked up on uh, every machine you can think of trying to keep her alive. And when you think about it, you know, had she had the same experience as I did, you know, could her life have been different? You know, uh, had that intervention that I had, that sports intervention, um, could she have been different? And what I've seen over the years, it's not just sports that can change lives. Like my own daughter hates sports. She, she loved theater. She loved music. She loved acting. It's like, and you know, watching her in the play, I realize it's the same thing. Yeah. A bunch of people with diverse talents and abilities coming together to create something uh, greater than themselves, you know, that they could never do by themselves. It's a community. It's a family. And, you know, that's her niche. You know, some schools now they have robotics teams too, right? You know, it could, it could be anything um, that that you fit in, you're a family, you got a safe place to be where you can thrive, where you're welcome. You know, it's kind of like uh, that old TV show Cheers, right? Yeah. Everybody knows your name, you know, they're always glad you came, you know, without getting too corny here. But we, we want to find a place to exist. And I've also seen this as an adult, that's also what a lot of adult men are missing. You know, this was the subject you, your brother and I were talking about when, when you're, uh, you know, 40 something, 50 something, you know, bald, fat guy. What do you do? Where, where, what's, where, where's your crew? You know, we're working all day. 
the stress of family and this and that, you know, where do you fit in? And uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, folks in our demographic are high rate of suicide. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you don't have that home, you don't have that community. And, and that's one thing I've been trying to, to build, not just for kids, you know, but also for adults as well. You know, um, one guy we found that tried to help us out uh, coaching with the youth league, we invited him to the first practice and a great guy played in college. He, he looked at the smile on his face when he was out there coaching. You know, it was, it was just one of the nicest things I've ever seen in my life. You know, just the joy that this guy, you know, he's just, he's happy. He's having a good life. You know, don't get me wrong. It's not like, yeah, but just the joy when he got on the field and was now able to coach and be a part of a team again, you know, it, it just really, you know, things started to click up here. I'm like, ah, you know we need more community. We need to be together more. Yeah. I mean, we we used to have, we used to have men's organizations, um, you know, which have kind of fallen by the wayside. I mean, look, yeah, the Flintstones had the water buffaloes, right. You know, we, we grew up watching this stuff, but there, there were other, you know, Knights of Columbus used to be big. It's not, it's not in favor with younger guys anymore. Um, but yeah, we we do need to find our tribes in adulthood, specifically when I mean, look, I, I spent you know the first the last twenty years raising triplets. Um, they're out of the house for the most part now, right? So they're we're empty nesters, and for a while, I I felt like I completely lost my identity because I wasn't driving all over creation to sports games or theater performances um, or practices. You know, I was a hockey dad, um, which takes a lot of freaking time. But yeah. so when when that leaves your life, you, sometimes you're left with, hey, wh- what's my identity now? Because you you've forgotten your identity, and and you need to find it. And and there, you know, there are not as many opportunities as there used to be for you know community involvement. At least I haven't found them. And you know, and unfortunately, some of the things people stumble onto, they get on the internet and they go down a rabbit hole, and next thing you know, you're you're doing uh, QAnon. Or, you know, and you're becoming... <laughs> you're wearing horns and face paint. Yeah, and you're, you know, well, how'd that happen? You know, that, that guy made a couple bl- bad clicks. You know, he, he didn't have a community. You know, he wasn't... Right. He was feeling, you know, every school shooter, every mass shooter. Yeah. These are people who are in tremendous distress, you know, and, uh, you know, with the conspiracy theories, I had friends, you know, they're telling me things. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? That's just, uh, I have to tell you, up. I was in um, Petaluma, California this past week um, for uh, with this coaching organization called Pivot. And Wednesday night or yeah, Wednesday night, I had time to myself. So I went out to, to dinner to sat at the bar at happy hour. Uh, I was still on New York time. So I was starving at like five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so I'm sitting there at the bar and just eating like my little my little sandwich. And this guy just sits next to me, older guy, probably late 60s, early 70s. He just looks at me and he says, um, he says, I'm no conspiracy theorist, but and like immediately I knew I'm going to hear some conspiracy shit like coming out of his mouth. And next thing I know, um, I'm learning things that I didn't know before, which is um, all of us who have, have had the covid vaccines are going to die soon um, because our blood is going to clot. Um, 
Abraham Lincoln and Jesus were killed for the same reason because they were trying to uh, overturn the monetary systems in their perspective, um, you know, lands, uh, right, which right, I, I didn't, I didn't know about that. Like I learned something that day. Um, and it was like one thing after another. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, where, where do these people come from? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's real, man. These conspiracy guys are real. It's um, you know, there is uh, a teacher of history. There are some conspiracies that, you know, did happen. There are some, shady things the government did over time especially with the CI but then you take that and what people have done it's become a cottage industry right where they they now build on some of that and now you can say anything you can completely say anything so you know you'll take that kernel of truth or okay something bad did happen once and now you have license to say whatever the hell you want mm -hmm. you know like we're up in Connecticut here and you, know, you see with Alex Jones and Pizzagate, uh, and, and you know, forget about in uh, uh, that the Sandy Hook shooting didn't happen. Yeah, that guy is, you know, he should be put away uh, just for saying that. Um, you know, those of us who live in Connecticut and uh, I identify as someone who lives in Connecticut. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, it's crazy. The, the, man, the man's nuts, like I'm Alex Jones. Like I like so many people. I, I don't know. I I just can't. I can't stomach I can't stomach that. And then he's got his supporters. Um, you know, it's like where has the middle ground gone in this country? I don't I don't know. Right. And, and that becomes because people that that became their community. Listening to him became a community. Yeah. yeah. Uh, instead of going and and doing things in your own neighborhood, like you know, so the Water Buffalo Club or you know, or, or civic group. Hey, how can we make this our community better? Yeah. You know, what can we what does our town need? What does the school need? What do the children need? You know, uh, we're listening to this crap, and uh, the, the the consequences are, are devastating. And it's just yeah. gonna unless we unless we start doing something. Um, you know, this was this was my attempt to try to stem that tide and kind of remind people, you know, hey, look look how if everybody sticks together, you know, you can save a life like mine. Yeah, you know, and and also. Um, in my case, it was an obvious need, right? Oh, this, these two kids, they lost their parents, you know? So the community was able to rally because it was an obvious problem. Too often we have people suffering in silence and nobody knows, you know? There might be a problem that could be just as devastating that can lead to, uh, you know, oblivion but maybe the community doesn't know about it. Um, and, and that's another thing that we need to know is, is to try to get people to, to destigmatize asking for help and, and you know, uh, reaching out and, and trying to find a way to uh, connect and get folks the help they need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I hope your book is striking a nerve or striking a curve, uh, striking a chord, not striking a nerve, maybe striking a nerve, hitting a nerve. And I'm, I mix my metaphors all the time um, with uh, with readers. Um, what's what's next for you? Is there a follow up book uh, to this to this one, Steve? Yeah, um, I'd like to write another one. Um, I want to see I got to see how a couple things turn out first. I want you know, I want it to be focused on my. Uh, my children. Yeah. Um, and I got to see how uh, I'm going to start writing it probably soon and 
kind of see how they they turn out. So we got to see uh, the 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 last chapters haven't been written yet, but um, they're currently writing them now as we speak. But um, you know, both my kids have overcome a lot of adversity. Um, especially my daughter wrote. Um, both of them were uh, diagnosed with epilepsy at an early age. And, uh, you know, we no history of it in either uh, side of the family, but me and my wife were recessive carriers, so they won the genetic lottery. And uh, my daughter especially, like she missed most of high school um, from side effects from the medicine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just a whole bunch of trials and tribulations that she had to go through. Um, but as a result of all that, you know, she got into the Epilepsy Foundation and she's been to up in Hartford and down to Washington, D.C. to lobby Congress to uh, get money for for funding. You know, and she's got to meet a, a whole bunch of amazing people and is doing great things with her life, um, overcoming this this, you know, disease, this this uh, brain disorder. And again, she's kind of like in the same line as her grandmother, her Bapsha Eva. You got this horrible thing happened, but we're going to overcome the adversity. We're not going to let it stand in the way of uh, having having a great life. And yeah, uh, yeah. So I want we got to see how where she winds up to get that final chapter or two. Yeah, I mean, you know, the lesson there is we are in control of the narrative. Um, we can control the narrative of our lives. Um, that sounds like one thing you've learned from your your Bobsha. Uh, one thing you've learned from yourself and the midnight talks with your mother and your experiences, you know, playing football and and getting the help you needed, you know, learning wise and and what you're observing in your kids. It's a very inspiring story, Steve. Thank you. I hope it, I hope it can make a difference. Yeah, I, I think you will. Now, if people want to get in touch with you, Steve, do you have a website or social media handles you want to share? Yeah, you can reach me on uh, social media. It's uh, you know on, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. I have a TikTok channel where you can see some of my uh, motivational talks. Um, you know, so you can reach me through all that, or you can just email me at uh, steve.boris at gmail.com. There you and, go. Uh, be happy to chat and help in any way I can. And we'll put all of that in our in our show notes so people don't have to uh, write those down furiously in your car, especially if you're driving. Um, I have to ask you about this, though, Steve, because I did come across a video on YouTube, uh, a side-by-side shot of you and Christopher Walken. <laughs> what was that all about? Oh, you did your homework. <laughs> um, yeah, one guy um, where I worked down in Eastchester, uh, the video production teacher, this guy, Mike Goldstein, he's... Uh, He's a lot of fun and you know they always have a student film festival you know and he's uh had some really talented kids over the years and they do a film festival but just to uh, show his kids that he still has the the movie making chops he gets uh me and a few other other teachers and we usually do a, a teacher video and if you dig down the rabbit hole a little bit you can see about we've done about 20 something films and he got inspired. He loves that music video with Christopher Walken, uh, weapon of choice. And he said, well, we're going to make Boris of choice. I said, <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I didn't know how to dance, you know, at all. And we got a, um, this one girl we work with, um, is a dance instructor, you know, that's her passion. And, uh, 
we got her to teach me how to dance. And she goes, uh, okay, we're going to do it on the eight count. I go, what's an eight count? Like I truly knew nothing. And it was funny because as she's coaching me, I, I somehow was felt like I was back in football camp again, you know, and a lot of the training and the screaming and the, it was, it was, you know, the same. And, and they got me uh, to where I could, I could be competent and uh, not completely embarrass myself, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, fantastic. I'll be sure to find a link for that for our, uh, for our, our listeners as well. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for stopping by and corking a story and letting me uncork yours. All right. It was my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.